0: Sandy. What's up? It's
1: been a week, huh? No, it's been two. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> I am so <laughs> sorry. So what happened was there's this like book thing that I edited, you see, with two of my very amazing colleagues, uh, Cyrus Marcus Ware and Rodney Deverlis. And we launched that book last weekend. And we launched that book last weekend in Toronto. And so I flew from LA to Toronto for one day only. And we had this like really intense schedule and Nora and I were going to record. And then one of my friends surprised me at the airport. God damn it. (laughs) And, and, And the schedule got all messed up. Love that friend. So wonderful got so many beautiful moments from that but unfortunately that uh pushed our recording plans to different plans and we just kept trying to make new things work and it just kept not happening you have no idea how intensely packed my last week was
0: so i'm sorry well and i believe the whole thing started with like a coronavirus get to the airport Oh, you yeah, that was, was totally
1: <laughs> it. We got this email <laughs> from the airline. You should get to the airport an hour earlier than usual because coronavirus. And I was like,
0: God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> anyway. It's all good. Here we are. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, it, the, the the support in the last two weeks has been really unbelievable. So before we like talk about anything substantive... Uh, and we have a bit of a surprise we're gonna we're gonna do something uh before we start the show today that i think people will be excited by um we have to thank folks that have been sending us uh some support by way of the patreon so i want to give a shout out to dallas to matthew to valerie joseph jasper lee jennifer carolina and i have to pause on carolina because we went to high school together so hey carolina thank you Um, Hey, Carolina. (laughs) Chelsea and Mm -hmm. Lee. Very
1: cool. So I was like taking a look at our next tier. Yes. Our next tier is, you know, if we, we promised that if we get to 1300, which, you know, there was a time we never thought we were going to do, but now we're at 1100. So if we, if we get to 1300, we will start inviting guests every once in a while and those guests will be people who listen to us, is what we've said. And maybe sometimes other. like we'll see what happens. But, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do ethically was to be able to provide people who joined us on the podcast, like an honorarium or some sort of, you know, compensation for... Uh, being a part of the the project and and uh, providing content for the show, so I know that many of people, many of you who have spoken to me personally are always like, you should invite so and so on the podcast to discuss such and such, and I've explained to you uh, why ethically we couldn't do that, just because you know we're not the type of people who are like. Come make content for us and go away and get nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not part of our politic, and so uh, you know we're close to that, so if we get there, um, we'll start having some people on every once in a while uh, enriching enriching the content. Thank yeah. you all for all the support. We are so you know surprised and grateful that everyone um, has been
0: so giving. And so we want to say thanks as well uh, by having a little contest. Sandy, tell us about the book, a little bit more about what's inside the book that you just launched.
1: So the book is a collection of works by Black people across Turtle Island. And the idea was when uh, we were contacted um, in Black Lives Matter by the University of Regina Press with the idea, you know, you guys should write a book maybe about your experiences uh, put, put some thoughts down get it to us uh, we thought, eh, you know, we've got this opportunity to get uh, a wide release of our thoughts, why don't we get a wide release of uh, a whole diversity of black people in Canada's thoughts and so we put a call out we had lots of interest and so what you will find inside that book is a, a, a number of different things that are organized around a few themes. And so the themes are the origin story of Black Lives Matter in Canada, um, carceral violence, uh, uh, and meaning like prisons and border, borders and confinement, arts in the movement and creativity, theorizing Blackness through time and space and, uh, and hopefulness and the future. Uh, And uh, in the book, you'll, you'll, there's some, some visual arts. So there's some, some photograph, photography. There's some speculative fiction and there's essays, there's poetry. uh, And it really came together as just a beautiful uh, way for black people living uh, in Turtle Island to write themselves. And uh, we've been getting really great feedback from it. And uh, I'm really proud of it. Uh, I think it's a, a really excellent canon
0: so what we have decided to do is we are going to give away five copies of this book to uh, our listeners it's going to be a random draw and so to enter the draw all you have to do is you have to send us a a short email which uh, should go to sandy and nora at protonmail.com and in that email you need to send us two things you need to send us a story about you taking some sort of action to change something in the last month so what have you done? And it can be an act that's big. It can be an act that's small. Uh, all it has to be is that it challenges power or it makes life better for people in some way. Describe it as short as you can and you will be entered in the draw. We'll also need your address so that if you win, uh, we can send a copy of the book to you. We will draw the names at next week's show. And so you have a week to enter. If you have any questions, you can direct message me on Twitter. But I think that's pretty straightforward.
1: Nora, you also have a book, and we're going to give away some of those, too. So tell the folks
0: about your book. Ah, oh, that is not ready to give away yet. Wait, what? No, I'm no, no, talking no, about your have... first book. Oh! <laughs> that book. You have another
1: book, Nora.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I have enough copies. For... You know what? Let's let's hold off on the contest, and we can oh, do that again for, okay, for, okay, for okay, book okay. number two. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Great, great, great. You can find my book at uh, uh, policyalternatives.ca slash demonized dashed. Organized. Or just search Nora Loretto Union book. (laughs) Grand. Okay, cool. So all that stuff, uh,
1: you know, of me running around trying to find uh, time to record. uh, It was really hopeful (laughs) (laughs) of me. There was a lot of hope (laughs) embedded in that. Nora, I'll get back to you. I promise. (laughs) And then never doing it um but uh, you know like I was really really hopeful that at some point (laughs) the time would just carve itself out and it would work out but it didn't but you know that hope it kept me going (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's what we're talking about today how (laughs) how important how important that was a really stressed out um, segue but
0: uh, like, it was good that was thank really you. good
1: <laughs> thank you we're talking about today how important hope is uh, for our movements uh, the politics of being hopeful what believing in um, the cause that you are struggling for can do for your movement and you know of course we're talking about this at a time where there's teachers on strike across Ontario or about to go on strike across Ontario and uh the Wet'suwet'en protests have shut down uh via rail uh in Canada
0: yes actually and you just remind me of something I want to shout out Raiden uh for correcting my pronunciation of Wet'suwet'en um last week because um we mispronounced it um throughout the show and so thank you for that and you are so right that this is a really hopeful moment but I get the sense that a lot of people are not necessarily feeling that hope. Sandy I don't know if you're seeing like comments or receiving messages or whatever from people that are kind of really hopeless and people being really uh, depressed about where the state of things are currently and so when you suggested that we do this show on Hope, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I think that that's exactly what people need right now is to, is to find ways to, to, to take hope from what is happening around us. It's impossible to do social movement organizing. It's impossible to be a progressive person and to be engaged in struggle without, I think, having like equal amounts of hope and deep hatred for the status quo. <laughs> that and and
1: also a little bit of joy. I feel like joy has got to be thrown in there
0: too.
1: <laughs> yeah. It is so so important. It become it's it's like I I uh, imagine all the different things uh, and movements I've uh, been a part of um, both very publicly and and some that are not public at all and If I was pessimistic about any of it, if I had come from a place of God, everything, you know, sucks and can never be changed instead of God, everything sucks and we we're going to be the ones to fucking change it. I don't think we would have I don't think it would have been possible to do to make some of the changes, to do some of the work, to stay committed
0: um, in in those movements. I want to first maybe acknowledge that not everybody listening is going to feel hopeful. And I think that not feeling hopeful is not like there's something wrong with you or anything like that. But it's kind of a natural response to the state of the world. It's a natural response to seeing how terrible the coverage is in the mainstream press of It's It's a natural response to seeing how many people that you may have respected praising in death Christy Blatchford when you can remember the columns that she wrote that dehumanized uh, maybe your own identity or people who you love, there's a lot of reasons to look around the world right now and feel despair. And I think that part of the reason why we do feel so much despair is because we are more isolated than we've ever been before in humanity's history. I mean, we don't really reflect on that very well, but we, we are so less connected than ever before to our our members of our community, so our neighbors, the people that we do business with, the people that we pass on the street every single day, the people we ride the bus with, uh, our friends, right? How many think pieces have you read about how to make friends in your 30s, or how to keep your friends past um, getting married, or is it even possible to make make friends when you're when you're a 45 year old working woman? You know, like these these um, themes are all coming out of a narrative. That has been constructed around us thanks to two really difficult forces that we're up against. The first force is neoliberalism, which, is, uh, which was economic and social policies that destroyed our senses of community by you know, downloading services to individuals, uh, hiking household debt to record highs, and it's left a lot of people in despair. And then the second factor of course is social media where um, we are both more connected to other people than ever before in history and at the same time less connected than ever before. And that cognitive dissonance causes a lot of of strain. I think a lot of personal strain, a lot of mental strain. And we're always having to perform ourselves uh, in a different way if we live on social media. And I think that, that exacerbates uh, problems that may already exist that you're already trying to sort through or deal with in your in your day-to-day life and then you pile on top of that your bills and uh, a precarious job and ill parents or uh, your classes that are just like grinding you into the floor and god that is so difficult it's so difficult to live through that and then still feel hope and I think uh,
1: just to add on to that list of terrible things that (laughs) is That we're all experiencing. I think there's also an argument to be made. I don't and I don't know this for sure. like maybe an academic can correct me or tell me to read more about it in, in some ways, but I think we might be um, busier than we've ever been in an isolated way. Mm. where you know in the past, a lot more of our work, uh, the things that we were um, doing on the day to day to make life go was a very uh, communal thing now, work is seen as something that's a very individual. And so we're super, super busy uh, because, you know, life is harder and harder and, you know, gives us less and less resources as capitalism continues to just fuck us all. And, (laughs) uh, but we are not working alongside people in the same way that we used to. And so I'm sure uh, that that has um, massive impacts on our ability to 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 have to see any light at the end of what it is uh, that we're going through. So yeah. People might not feel hope. But but if we if we can if we can see, if we can come up with a plan, if we can try to see the hope, it makes movement organizing Not just better, but like fully possible, just possible. I mean, I don't know if there are other activists out there who have gone through, um, you know, the feeling of, oh, we're just going to, something terrible is happening. I guess we should uh, have another rally. We'll have it at the, uh, at the place with all the people, the open square, and we'll do all the same tasks that we did the last time, and then um, we'll uh, organize the response, pull up the uh, the task list from the last 10 rallies, and uh, let's get going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, it's easy to get to that place, <laughs> and that is a very not hopeful place, um, <laughs> but when, but when you are in
0: a hopeful place, ooh, the things that you can inspire. To- totally, and... Partly it's also requires us to understand like how we can make change. Like I, I, I think that I've been thinking, I've been thinking a lot about Jordan Peterson this week because, (laughs) because I'm wondering what it's like to be in a coma in Russia and, uh, exactly. Uh, no, because uh, because news came out that he's not doing super well um, and uh, there's an incredible irony uh, about a, a guy who's struggling with deep personal issues who's made millions of, of dollars off of telling uh, people exactly what it requires to be uh, better or to deal with whatever issues that they're dealing with. And, and the funny thing about Peterson and, and, and thinking about this a lot this past week is that like he actually does inspire hope in uh, a certain kind of people. And the hope that he inspires, I mean, it's fucked up, and it's, um, it's eventually self-defeating, as you can see. Like, if he takes his own <laughs> advice, I mean, it it's probably doesn't get you to a good place. But it, it finds hope in telling people, telling especially young men, that the problems that they are trying to address are all um, in their control. And so that is through uh, changing something about your own life, something that you have control over, you will be able to um, address whatever it is the issue that you're that you're trying to address. And there's a lot of hope in that message because it tells you that you know that if you understand uh, the the chaos of of the universe and you understand feminine chaos and how to control it or how to get around it or how to um, uh, put yourself into a place where you can get the girl and get the job and get all the money that you want and make yourself feel better that that doesn't ins- inspire hope the, the problem of course is that it's at someone else's expense because Peterson's um, an oppressive fuck and doesn't actually care about anybody that he's trying to help but we don't talk on the left enough about those hopeful kinds of situations because so often it is about here's like oh same time same place see you at the war monument see you at the legislative assembly see you at this intersection that's really important in our downtown and I think feels things starting to feel like rote like we're just doing things because that's what we do every time it it happens and what has been amazing about 2020 so far and of course everything that's happening in 2020 has roots in 2019 and 2018 and 2017 is that there has been an incredible amount of action that should absolutely be leaving you hopeful. That you should be watching and saying, oh my God, Doug Ford can be defeated. Uh, It takes a lot of work. It takes maybe a province-wide strike, but he can be defeated. Oh my God, parents can stay on side with the teachers during a job action, even if we're asking them to take their kids in for, for strike days, it's possible if you're fighting these uh campaigns to save public education in the case of the Ontario teachers or which obviously is the big story of the last couple of weeks in uh in in this country is the the struggle at Wet'suwet'en and the solidarity actions in towns and cities across Canada I mean I know Sandy you're far away right now but like how much hope is that giving you
1: um So, so much hope. It is like it's incredible to see um, what really feels like a, a new kind of um, era wave of of super uh, successful, movement making like I you know you don't often see people who are taking a job action get so much support you don't often see people who are uh, as you know the media is just so um, intent to describe it inconveniencing average people (laughs) um, get so much support and do it in such a way that uh, there's just so much support that people are willing to replicate the action um, uh, across uh, from coast to coast, and I like you know when I when I think about what it means to be hopeful and how you get to a place uh, where these types of things are possible, I think what we're really talking about um, when we say you know um, what how hope can shift people is we're talking about imagination. Yeah, hope. Hope is about the ability to imagine a future. Where we win, where we create justice, where we eliminate injustices, where we eliminate the indignity of uh, pretending um, that it's okay to, to treat our teachers like shit, that it's okay to continue uh, the genocidal colonialist project, that it's okay um, to exist in a world where white supremacy uh, and capitalism just continue to drag us down. An imagination about a possible future where we're happy is such an important piece of successful movement building.
0: Well, the imagination can be big and 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 give us a vision of a future that, you know, we might not even know how to get to from point A to point B, but we know what point B is. We we can see uh, the injustices that we confront eliminated we can see uh, people elevated and and not having to deal with uh, racism or with patriarchy or with ableism but there's also imagination that is like just we actually can do the things that we imagine quite simply I mean <laughs> like coming up with this podcast was kind of us imagining coming up with the podcast and we did it <laughs> Yeah. You know, my, my, I had a, a band in Toronto years ago. We like we had a friend who imagined being in a band and then she <laughs> made it happen. And we were in a band for a couple of years and it was so wicked. And and so this, this feeling that nothing ever changes, it partly is because nothing has changed in 30 years because that has been our status quo. That's just been the world that we've lived in. But nothing is permanent and we are always in a state of being able to fight for that change. And so what Uh, A lot of the questions that I've received from people this last week have been, how can I get involved and how can I get past these feelings of despair when all I see is racist shitheads uh, talking on the CBC, Uh, when I see the Globe and Mail putting forward these horrible um, analyses about what's happening at Wet'suwet'en, about, you know, supporting new energy projects, ignoring climate change and all these kinds of things that are really horrible. And, This is where imagination, I think, is really, really important because it's like, okay, well, where do you start? You want to start uh, with a solidarity action for Wet'suwet'en and you live in a tiny community that is nowhere near a big city, might not be near rail. You might not have any idea if people are doing these kinds of actions already. It's like, what do you do? Just call your local city councillors and say or or town councillors and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. What do you think? Start there. Start posting in local Facebook groups about this issue and see if anyone identifies himself as being uh, a supporter of what you're saying.
1: Mm-hmm. If you have coworkers or people that you interact with daily, just talk to them about the issue. See if you can bring it up in a way that forces a conversation. Maybe those people will learn something that they haven't learned before, or maybe you'll find out that they're connected to another community that you can speak to more broadly. There are all of these opportunities around us, but part of being hopeful and having an imagination is taking, seeing that those opportunities are there and taking the initiative um, to, to, to for you know lack of a better word kind of exploit those little opportunities around us in in life to make these uh these imagined big imagined realities like uh, so relevant in our lives um, even when the whole list of horrid things that Nora mentioned at the top of the show uh, are affecting our ability to see through it so like an example Let's say uh, you're a teacher and, uh, no, you're a professor, okay? You're a professor. You've heard um, recently, maybe you were listening to The Current this week, and you've you've heard that mental health on campus is, like, a massive, terrible thing. And you're like, God, what can I do about that? What can I do about that? Like, I don't have the expertise around counseling i'm not part of the administration i can't get more counselors Um, like i have no ability to influence uh how these students are experiencing uh, their campus experience
0: that's a pessimistic take what would a hopeful take look like Nora? A hopeful take would be to start looking at your own class and seeing if you can open up space within your class to uh, make sure that your students feel like they can talk to you or that they could share ideas with you about how to make change in the classroom or to hear about what their struggles are exactly. Because mental health is never just mental health. It's always connected to other forces and, and factors that exacerbate poor mental health and so what are those forces and factors do you get involved with your faculty association or your union or your or your club or something to then say to the administration oh it seems like for my students the biggest problem is is that uh, that they can't afford life and so then you actually have a whole other plane to have this discussion on while your administration is, is is focused on counseling services because a lot of that's the cynical way to deal with these issues is to just say okay well there's a mental health crisis so let's not look at the root issues we'll just hire more counselors and students will still wait five months to see a counselor but there's always ways that you can you can get involved in your own workplace or in your own community or with the parents of your kids friends or in your sports clubs i mean I, I, what do you think is driving the lack of imagination behind behind why people feel like they they can't take action?
1: I mean, I was thinking about this earlier this week at the LA launch of our book. So right after we came, we we did Toronto, we hopped on a plane, we went to LA, and one of the people who were it was in the audience in LA asked about um, like what keeps us going, like how we sustained ourselves through uh, some really difficult times during um, the, say, like the pride action that Black Lives Matter did when people were like trying to follow us around the city and make us feel super unwelcome. And I think uh, like the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, uh, an abundance of art and artists around me. <laughs> uh, I, I think that one of the things, one of the factors Um, In addition, you know, we talked about the list of factors that impact how how uh, people just generally, um, you know, might might not feel hopeful. Uh, But I I do think that a lack of access to art. Or the ability to interact with artists or to think about art is part of is part of a problem. I think that artists um, at their like the best types of artists are imagining beautiful futures for us and creating those features through through sound, through text, through movement, through whatever and those those imaginations like those very studied kind of um, talented and honed imaginations can have a wonderful effect on a movement. I mean if we see some of the art that is coming out of what's so written, um, the, uh, the beautiful like screen prints and so on that are that folks are creating, as part of keeping things going. Like we can keep making these, um, these beautiful ways to see the future and these beautiful ways to say no, no longer are we going to um, uh, accept this present. I think that that is um, a, such a wonderful uh, way to encourage an imagination of hope. Also children, I think that that uh, drives what's happening uh with the 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 massive teacher strike the kids getting involved the kids trying to help <laughs> the kids being like yeah of course we're going to you know support uh our teachers and uh, be out there rallying and um you know there's something about a, a child's imagination and ability to dream that can help us uh continue to move forward cuz that's you know i guess the future right there to sound a little cliched about it but you know they Uh, have an ability if they are involved in our movements to to really help us um, imagine a future because if we imagine them uh, surviving and living great lives
0: the aesthetic um, that has surrounded a lot of the protests at Wet'suwet'en and also just the um, defenders of, of land defenders of water Uh, Defenders of Air I have to give a shout out because a lot of that art comes from two individuals uh, Christy Belcourt and Isaac Murdoch and it is just so amazing to see these images that they have created sometimes they created these images years ago but they're so beautiful and that uh, and so shared I mean they made their art totally accessible and people can download the posters and they can they can do their own screen printing with their images and it adds uh, a level of Um, of joy and of just beautiful aesthetic to uh, to you know what is otherwise like blockades are not necessarily beautiful right they're like a table or they're like things that you've placed somewhere to form a blockade and so to make those spaces aesthetically beautiful I think is is part of not just hope but also what you said earlier joy that you have to find joy in in the struggle for, for me I mean I'm accused all the time of being um really angry like I think I was called like angry or sad or whatever like a thousand times this last week on Twitter
1: <laughs> it's so funny how people think you are on Twitter because like Nora's like just supremely not angry <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so it's so awesome right it's like I I find um that uh that The only way to exist in this world is to just be so thirsty for justice all the time that if you're going to be on a medium that is always responding to the news and it's in text, like you're going to come across being angry all the time because everything fucking sucks. Right. Like that's just how it's going to be. And when you can't share pictures of your kids online because, you know, people send them back to you um, with horrible things written on them. It means just that that's just going to be a space where you're going to only talk about politics and you're going to sound angry all the time. But finding joy in what we do is like if you're involved in a social movement and it's not joyful, you're not laughing at meetings. And it can be about the worst, most horrible things. Like I have been involved with organizing around things that are really horrible, where people lost their lives and it's really tragic and still in those spaces, we create moments of joy. We create moments of fellowship, of bringing people together and, and meeting one another and cracking jokes, and surviving together to weather the, the, the common experience or the disproportionate experience of whatever it is that we're organizing around. And that joy is so important because one of the impacts, I think, of neoliberalism, that if you don't if you've never known another time, that hasn't been the 19 mid 1980s to today. It, it might be like impossible to understand, but like like sucking joy out of our lives has been part of that political project. It's not by accident that the only entertainment you have is total shit m- imagined by the shittiest fucking movie studios in Hollywood and like the poppiest novels that are kind of like okay, but that aren't going to give you anything more deep than like a satisfaction of this is wonderful or music is like you have to really look hard to find good music because what's played on the radio like makes you want to rip out your eyeballs and throw them at people on the road. Thinks we I mean, I still
1: listen to the radio.
0: <laughs> oh. Do you know for music? Mm. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I know. I guess I like I guess people have like these like playlists on Spotify, which is not something I've ever in- <laughs> enjoyed or tried or downloaded or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and maybe you're listening to us on Spotify, so hey. <laughs> okay. I can't wait for that check Spotify for 8 cents. <laughs> um but but like we are being spoon-fed the the absolute worst cultural exchange out there and there's a reason why when things are really good they become really big because people are so thirsty for joy because it has been an intentional process to destroy our uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the the happiness that we have in our, in our lives. And so when you look at that with activism, of course, activism feels helpless. Of course, it feels like you can't change anybody's mind that you voted for Justin Trudeau because he said that he was going to not be a complete giant dick. And then lo and behold, he's been double fucking the size of a giant dick that he had promised he wouldn't be in the first place. <laughs> That is by design. And when you understand that you are supposed to feel despair, you are supposed to feel hopeless because a a despairing, hopeless uh, population is not going to fight back. It's not going to fight back creatively and it's not going to fight back in a way that brings people along. That's what they want. That's what power wants. And they want people to be so enraged that they can't think outside of their rage and use that imagination to figure out how to to, to, to restore that hope and restore that, um, that joy back in their activism or back into their lives.
1: Yeah, that, I, I mean, that is uh, such a profound understanding of, like, the, our current condition and how uh, hope and joy has been, like, squeezed out of us. And then that's how you get charlatans like uh, Jordan Peterson – Who get to then come and say, well, look, uh, I can give you joy and I can give you joy um, that you don't have to work for. It's all right within you. Just make your bet. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and can, <laughs> and can tell you uh, these things. You know, I Nora was on Canada Land this week, and she she likened uh, Jordan Peterson on the on the episode. You should really listen to it; it's very good. Uh, to um, to Gwyneth Paltrow, who like I don't know s- sells uh, weird vagina juice uh, to women to try to make them happy. You know, it's like you know you rub this <laughs> on your yoni. And you will be happy. It's like uh, <laughs> I I don't actually know what what Gwyneth Paltrow sells. <laughs> that might I may have just made something up. But it sounds like it. It's probably that. that it sounds like it's probably I mean, that. Should, <laughs> she'd probably sell that for a thousand bucks, right? Uh, but you know, like the, the actually like the real joy and the real hope is with other people. Like anything that somebody's telling you that's like, yo, you could do this by yourself. No, I am telling you that the real joy, the real imagination, the real hope is with other people. Even with those little examples that we gave earlier, if a teacher's standing in front of the class saying, like, how can I have an impact on mental health? It's like, find out how you can talk to other people. Honestly, like, can you, can you have some sort of community response to this? And I guarantee you, you'll find something in that. (laughs) Something in that, like a possible way forward If you're working with other people That's and that seems I feel like for a lot of people right now That feels so unnatural You know To to just get together with a bunch of people And dream up something new Um, You know Because the thing about uh, being joyless and hopeless Is it's so isolating And you don't want to feel bad Around other people And so A natural response To that sort of thing Is to isolate oneself Uh, And then You know To do all the individual things Buy more shit You know Like sit Watch Stupid TV Listen to sad songs Um, (laughs) And not to say (laughs) That those things are bad. You know I listen to sad songs I watch stupid TV Whatever Like I'm not saying That those things are like Terrible and destroying us I'm saying That part Of uh, Hopefulness and part of joy is the very things that it's taken away from us, which is this ability to be around other people and to live in community and to not be isolated individuals, but recognize that, in fact, we are all part of uh, a whole that is like moving forward together in uh, either our complete destruction or our complete survival. And so we are part of something that. Um, and we're not acting like we're part of something. And that makes it very difficult to see uh, where we can find those joys and where we can find those creativities.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was just thinking of this past week. Uh, a dad at my kid's school was like, hey, my kid wants to walk home with your kids. Can you like just let him walk home with you? I was like, sure. Yeah. And then just like complete fun ensues. So this dad just gives me his kid. I don't even know his kid's name. I certainly don't know the dad's name. I've seen him once and he appears where he appeared to to, to kind of grab his kid right where they live as on our walk home. And 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 just that like experience of being in community repeat with people where you're every day picking people up at the same time or dropping kids off at the same time or you're going to the supermarket at the same time as someone or you're on the bus at the same time as someone. Like when you said Can you even talk to people? Can you even have these conversations right now? I think that that's really profound. Like, are we able to talk politics or to talk about how we want things to change with our friends or acquaintances? Or have we even lost that capacity? Because we're not we're not in situations enough anymore where we're just shooting the shit with one another and we're and we're not able to then say what are your biggest fears how do we work through the biggest fears that you have that are oh exactly the same big fears that I have and you know of course part of of this is that no one has any time and finding time to go out is really difficult and I'm sure we've all seen the 1000 memes about you know your friend cancels uh, on you last minute and you're like sweet i have a night off i don't have to work to go out or whatever but we really need to resist that tendency that um that when when we start doing everything online every, like we we have everything delivered to us we have everything brought to us we don't have to leave our house we don't have to leave our car i mean outside of the situations where it's necessary we are losing human contact at a rate that I don't think that we're appreciating, and then and then we're trying to force other kinds of human contact to compensate. And I like I just read a feature in the Globe and Mail uh, by Leah Granger, uh, who I think I think used to work. I used to write for the Ryerson Free Press when I was there as an editor. So Leah, if you happened to listen to us, uh, hey, and if you didn't, I just forgot. Whatever. <laughs> And she had this article about how people are using apps to meet their neighbors. It's like, <laughs> holy fuck, what the fuck happened to meeting your neighbors? Oh,
1: man. It,
0: it's. I know how we got here and I don't want anyone listening to this to think that like I'm blaming or, or we're blaming individuals for getting us here because we are absolutely not. We got here because of our market forces. The market needs us to be fully and completely dependent on it to live. We, we the, the market requires that we need someone to pick out our groceries for us to deliver those groceries to us to, to, to send us everything from Amazon that we need uh, so that and then, you know, of course, get uh, uh, someone to pick up all the, the takeout that we're not going to go eat in store or take it out ourselves because we are too busy or we're too um, just not able to, to go do it ourselves. In the situations where you can do it yourself, where you are able to say, you know what, I'm going to slow down the pace of my life and I'm going to walk instead of take my car, do it. Because it is on those stretches of, of idleness when you are walking somewhere or when you are biking somewhere where you don't have anything in your ears that you will actually start imagining how things can be, how your street can look different, how your life might be able to look different, how the lives of your friends might be able to look different. You'll start to map out your day differently. I mean that those quiet moments. I think that they've also all been uh, uh, colonized by uh, discussions of like of uh, mindfulness and meditation apps and all this kind of thing too. Take those moments and make yourself imagine in 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 silence all of the ways that life could be better. And rather than being dis- in despair that they're not better, reach out to people to see how they're making things better if you if you have a friend that you think is doing it right and maybe you'll find some ways to get involved somewhere to meet new people to meet old people to learn how to talk politics with people and it's actually through those meetings that we are are able to create social change